Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. All right, Aspire listeners, I have a treat for you because I have a fantastic leader that we're about to talk about, Andy Jacks. He is doing so much in education, and I'm so pumped to not only talk about his new book, but also all the many projects that he's got going on. Andy, thank you so much for being on the Aspire podcast. Yeah, man, I appreciate being here. You got a great thing going. I'm just happy to be <laughs> part of it. So, you know, I know you're working hard and we all are and uh, glad to be part of the conversation. Yeah. So I'm chomping at the bit to talk about your book. It's fantastic. But before we do that, will you just kind of introduce yourself to my listeners and share a little bit about your leadership journey? Sure. I'm Andy Jacks. First and foremost, I'm a dad. I got three kids and, you know, family, wife and all that stuff. That's, you know, just like a lot of us, that's the 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 forefront of our lives. And it's so important. And I have to say that that's the one thing that over time, I'm sure we're going to meander all over the place in this conversation, because that's how I think you and I are going to roll, which is perfect. <laughs> and this is kind of one of those. I feel like as a as a parent, you learn so much and it gets so much perspective on patience mm-hmm. and expectations and how you relate to people and, and kids especially. And so, oh, you know, first and foremost, a parent, family man. Uh, I have been a principal for this is my 12th year as a school principal. I'm currently a principal at the Noakesville School, which is a kindergarten through eighth grade school in Northern Virginia. It's about 1,200 kids. Before that, I was the principal at Ashland Elementary School, which is pretty, pretty close by at some at one point we're about a thousand kids. So that's a pretty large elementary school. Yeah. And before that, assistant principal, fifth grade teacher I started as. Um, I do a lot of work with advocacy with the Autism Society and also work for NESP um, as a as a senior fellow and help to lead organizational change as well as like connect school leaders, which especially during these tough times is so important. You're talking about tough times. Your book. Let's let's kind of dive in if you don't mind. Yeah, man. So as far as the book goes, I, I always love hearing origin stories, like where the concept came from before you put pen to paper. So what what was it like for you? What was the concept and where where did it come from? Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that because that gave me the inspiration for not just the book, but for my own change process. Mm-hmm. And I think something that really helped me evolve in a certain way was the the angst and the where I thought I was going to go and what what I thought I believed didn't match a lot of the actions I was doing. And the more I learned, the more I realized how off I was. Actually, <laughs> And if anything, the more I learned, the, the dumber I felt. Right. And yeah. I think that's how it's supposed to be. Sure. And uh, so so a lot of things kind of converge at the same time. I had a situation where I was as a school leader, there was awesome things happening in our school. And yet no matter how fantastic everything was, we were still struggling with some of the most serious and very difficult behavioral situations with students. And sometimes Mm -hmm. there's one student and that's what happens in a lot of our schools. I know now it's different because of COVID. You have a lot of behavioral things going on, but even before COVID we did too. And it could be one student that would throw the whole school upside down you know, and we were just stuck. And no matter what I said about trying to go after every kid and make sure that every child is successful, you got stuck on those situations. And then that led to other difficult situations. And so there's a little bit of that going on. And I didn't have answers for these people, right? I would say like, okay, we need to do better for this one kid. They'd be like, all right, Andy, how? Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, oh man, you got me. And so I had to learn, (laughs) I had to research. 
And so I was also at the same time going through my doctorate program, Virginia Tech, and my professor was really pushing me. Dr. Glenn was pushing me on what topic I was going to look into. And the one thing on one side, they say, when you do a dissertation to not don't like try to create this like monumental piece of work yeah. at the end of the day, you got it. They say a great dissertation is a finished dissertation. You got to get this sucker done. <laughs> and, but it's really important to pick a topic you're passionate about so that when you're doing all this research, you can enjoy it and sort of learn from it. And so that's where I dove into, I dove in this idea of exclusionary discipline, probably because of the struggles we were having in school, probably because my own upbringing with discipline partly from seeing kids like my own kid and other kids that were kicked out of school at a very early age, sometimes for things like disabilities. And I realized that there's so many layers to this that I think your average school leader and teacher really don't know enough about. Mm -hmm. We talk at a surface level with discipline and just behavioral change, but we're not really taught very well how to do this. We spend so many courses on content academic content in our undergraduate programs. But by the time you get into, you know, the real work, you're not prepared for the behavioral challenges that we face. And even in schools, what kind of professional development do we provide for our staff? And, and it shows our priorities. So I, I really dove into this. and I realized that some of my, some of my norms that I had, you know, were, were not effective and, and not based on my opinion, but based on a, a wealth of knowledge at this point, there is so much research on this topic. So it's not like just a few, you know, interesting articles you could pull out, you know, basically showing that most of the practices like zero tolerance and mm-hmm. exclusionary discipline, and they, and there's a place for everything sort of, but the standard operating procedure of this is so ineffective. It has so many bad side effects, yet that's all we really know how to do. And when we don't have that and we take that tool away, we all look at each other and be like, uh, I don't know what else to do. Yep. And, and so as a school, we tried to move past it. And it was hard for us. I worked with amazing people and I worked with amazing people now that still try to figure out those other solutions. And it led me down these sort of practical tips that we could use. And based on that, uh, that's where I feel like, you know what, that's maybe a good content for a book that people could read. Something motivational on a really hard topic, something that could help us, you know, strive to reach out to those most struggling students, which I believe helps define our school success. It's easy to teach the kids that are easy. It's hard to teach the kids that are hard, Mm -hmm. but that's also what defines your own personal legacy. If you can catch those kids and reach out to them and you may not get every single one, but man, I'm going to try. I'm going to try every single day, even if it hurts, because that's that's sort of where the magic's at. And that's what makes you sleep good at the end of the day. You know, you gave, you put it all on the field. You, you give everything you could. And nine times out of 10, you do reach those kids. You really do change their lives. Yeah, for sure. So you start off the book with the meaning behind discipline wins. And I thought that was perfect because, you know, you're looking at this trophy but then you also have the word discipline, which is such a, has a negative connotation yeah, right. and you're like struggling, like discipline wins. Like, I don't even, what is yeah. that? Right. So, yeah. you know, for, for someone who's listening to the title or, or sees your book on the shelf, what is the meaning behind the title discipline wins? Right. We can have success in a tough issue of discipline. Students can and will, and they do improve behaviors. And when it happens, you should celebrate it. Because it is like winning the Super Bowl, some of these kids that we're working with. And for them, it is their Super Bowl. It is the win that they need. For so many kids, you know, it's not about the ABCs. It's not about reading and writing and math. It's about trying to sit still in class, trying not to fight with others, having the social skills that will actually be really helpful in a real job when they get older. 
And not that content is not important because of course it is, but there are so many other skills we call these sort of side soft skills or hidden curriculum and all these things that really need to be more put on the forefront of our skills as adults, because in any job, being able to get along with others, relate and, uh, you know, work in teams, those are the things you really need. And so part of that is discipline, self-discipline, but also how we help discipline those in our care. And one of the biggest things about discipline is our self-discipline as educators and leaders. You know, it starts with the adults because that's who we have the most control with, ourselves. We really can't control students. We can just control ourselves. And we, we really think of this as like a positive mindset that we can be successful again, you're more likely to be successful. There's a big chapter in there about this first responder mentality, about this idea that we have self-efficacy and that our belief system on how we can achieve has a great impact on that achievement. And the more we think of ourselves in that same role, uh, the more likely we actually will be successful at catching those kids. So, you know, I really want it to be more of a celebratory situation, a success model, and not just talk about all the negative things that can happen in discipline. And that's honestly where we stop so many times is we, we, we get straight into consequence. And again, and we'll probably talk in that there's, there's a place for consequence. There's a place for all sorts of things, mm -hmm. but that cannot be all we talk about. We cannot just stop there. We have to talk about what are these actions that are more likely based on research, based on evidence will actually do the thing which you want, which is to improve their behavior so that the, the child is happier in school, you're happier in school, that you have a good relationship with the child. And that's where you win. When you see those things improve, where you see that you actually have made a difference and the kid can be in class successful, that's the win. I really think you need to throw confetti up in the air. <laughs> you know, I've had confetti cannons. That's a cool thing you could do. Confetti cannons, blow them up in the air and uh, just celebrate that moment because that's the success of that student. Oh, for sure. And I love the chapter on the root causes piece. You know, I think so often we're, and maybe it's just a time thing, but you know, it's so quick to, like you said, get to the consequence, move on and just assume that the student is going to magically learn the appropriate behavior and, and be successful in class instead of looking at what's the cause. And my thinking with that too is, you know, sometimes people refer to a child as a, a bad kid and it's like, no, the behavior was what was bad, right? right? right. Um, not the kid itself. So what is what is going on deeper in that level? So what is it at your school that you've been doing to try and find the, the root cause behind the, the behaviors of your students? Oh, I think the most important thing is to ask them, you know, especially depending on the age level. Uh, one of the coolest things in our school right now is uh, we have five-year-olds to 14-year-olds. Mm. And being able to talk to a student and really get deep as to, as to why they're doing what they're doing. And a lot of times they don't want to talk to you, right? Yeah. Some of these kids have been getting in trouble for a long time. They don't trust you. They don't believe you. Anything you say to them, they think they can get it used against them. And so you got to dig deep and you have to really over time build relationships so they can build just even just a teeny bit of trust to have a real conversation. And you have to have those conversations, not just when they're in trouble, because like any of us, when we're in trouble, when we have a lot, either chaos in our mind or whatever we have a tough situation we're trying to go through, it's not necessarily the time we want to be introspective and reflective. And that goes for any of us. So really try to build that over time and get, dig deeper as to, okay, when this stuff happens, why does that happen? And what could you do instead? And just that conversation doesn't fix it. Because a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, Andy, you have a little side conversation with a kid who just threw a chair. It's going to fix everything. No, it, it won't. But a lot of those conversations over many years will. Yes. And it's not just that one time. It's many, 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 many times that you do that, that have that positive effect that you have. But listening to the students and looking at the, you know, the task analysis 
you know, that, that piece, there's so much great work by Alfie Cohn and others about, you know, if you, the one, the number one thing you can do is look at specifically what tasks are being asked to do and how are they engaging in that task? Do they know how to do that task? Do they want to do that task? They find it meaningful or relevant or in any way engaging to their lives? Because if they don't, most likely anybody are going to have some misconduct or distraction or off-task behavior. So, you know, it's easy to blame the kid for everything. And, and sometimes it is their fault. But even if it's their fault, why are they likely to do that again? It's really about the next time, right? Because sometimes we get these situations, it's almost too late then. It's really about the next time we get into it again. How can we adjust that? Because even if you adjust one little piece, it could make a little bit of a difference going forward. So, you know, again, it's not blaming teachers. Teachers are working really, really hard and they're getting grief and they're getting kids doing really tough stuff right now. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, all we can control are our own actions. And like I talk about in this book, it's really about owning our own decisions. And, you know, once we do that and once we realize that, you know, this whole discipline aspect is almost like what we would want as adults. Like, you know, when they talk about discipline as adults. What do they say? They say things like having the picture of the rock doing bench press. And like, you know, if you just stay focused and motivated, you'll have success. You know, you have people that coach you and that give you grace and that motivate you and uplift you. That's what discipline looks like. And that's what we want for adults. Yep. But when we have kids that mess up, it often gets back into punishment and consequences and beating down on them. And it just, it's like, that's not going to work. It wouldn't work for us because you don't have it for us. If someone does that to us, oh, you'd probably, you know, you probably fight them, <laughs> right? You'd probably like throwing some haymakers <laughs> and, and swear words at them, you know, because that's what adults do. Because yeah. look at adults right now. Adults are having some terrible behavior out there. And that's what our kids are doing. They're, they're emulating that as well. So really thinking about, you know, going back to asking them why they're doing what they're doing. Try to look at the task analysis. Look at the environment that they're in. Look at their schedule. That's one thing seeing the middle school versus like literally secondary level versus elementary level. Elementary level, you have kids a lot of times in the same classroom. You know, you're trying to see that kind of relationship with the teacher. But the secondary level, you have kids bouncing between classes potentially three, four, five, seven times a day. Yeah. And so look at their schedule. And why does everyone have to have the same schedule, especially if that schedule is not working? You know, God forbid we actually change something up. We always talk about thinking outside the box and yet still we struggle with changing things up for kids that really need it. So yeah. task analysis, talking to the child, building that relationship and looking at the environment are really key things. You're bringing up a lot of good things and you brought up something earlier about having the, the same old punishment or consequences for a student. And, and I know, you know, when you're looking at a discipline matrix, it typically says detention, ISS, OSS. So you know, if we're taking those off the table, what are some other strategies that schools can use to help teach students the correct behavior? Yeah. And I want to first say, because I, when I get into this, a lot of people say, okay, I can never do that ever again. <laughs> well, first of all, it's not practical. I mean, no. It's not real. I'm in a school right now and it happens. I'm just saying, oh, yeah. right. Mine too. I, I'm against, I'm against out of school suspension, but I've done it and I yeah. still do it because I don't, there is a reality to the world we live in. Maybe at some point we'll have better options. One of my frustration is we do need better options. And if you don't have those better options, you can't use them. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to say, stop one thing, but you can't just stop. That's the one thing I learned from my teachers. Uh, and, and it was really this is you can't just say to do nothing. You have to say to do something instead. Correct. So, 
if you don't have those things in place, you're going to struggle with doing, with just no suspensions or anything like that. And especially with some of the violent behavior you get into there, there is a reality, even like if I really came back to, for me, the line was, you know, if you look at like IDEA, which is individuals with disability education act. And for me, I I really, my heart's in special education so much Mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons. Even, even in IDEA, it talks about three reasons why you could do exclusion discipline and that's the big three which is drugs weapons and serious violence and i'm not talking about disrespect right i'm talking about the big three those are still legitimate reasons why you're trying to keep a school safe and at times you may need to have students away from each other right so let's 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 take that off the plate because so many times we talk about this we say okay what happens when another kid sucker punches a kid and then starts a mob fight against them like Well, yeah, but that's like one end of the extreme. But so much of our discipline is the day-to-day little things that drive us bananas. And that's where we then have to dig into what do we do instead. One, it goes back to what I said earlier is how does our instruction look? What can we control? I can control the way my environment, my classroom feels. I can control the actual lessons. In fact, students have zero control in the class, which is why they always fight for that control. Mm -hmm. And frankly, they don't really want your control. They just want their own, right? They don't want your power. They're not trying to take it from you and like have you sit in the corner. They just want to feel their own sense of empowerment. And frankly, they have it whether they realize it or not. It's just your job to sort of unlock it because innately, I feel like all of us have this, this power and this sense of entitlement, not in a bad way, but in our our right to have our sort of own pathways in our lives, our own journey. And we have to sort of unlock that and help them own actually more of it so that they can take uh, more ownership in their learning, which half the time kids struggle. They just throw all that aside. It's, I don't care. Um, I don't want anything to do with it. And then once they have that apathy, that is killer. Apathy is a killer. So really try to look at that environment, try and look at the instruction and then building that relationship. It's all about relationships, everything. And I know everyone by now is sick of hearing it, but it's, it's true. When you finally connect with a student and they care about you, they will listen to you more. That's true for any adult as well. If you have a boss and you hate your boss, you're not going to listen to anything they say, right? I mean, so it's on all of us to make sure that we are trying to connect with people and and relate to people, restore relationships. If we have something that's not working, instead of just fighting through that relationship and fight, 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 we have to stop be more vulnerable, have those I statements, you know, we all learn, maybe when we first got married or something, you know, like, you know, like one of those, you know, marriage counselors, right? When you start getting married, they like teach you these things, the I statements. Well, don't ask my wife. She'll, if she's listening to this, she'll probably say, well, Andy, when are you going to use that for our homework? <laughs> yeah. right? No, but like, you know, all those things that we learn about how to do with adults, we do for students too. And, yeah. you know, really, really making sure that we have those things in place, uh, you know, check in, check out two by tens, uh, take tens, you know, taking things off the stage, not doing things in front of students, never losing the integrity of the child, never put down the child, never have a sense of power and yelling at the child. You're going to lose them every single time. Okay. But at the same time, don't get me wrong, you need clear expectations. You need to have consistent rules and norms across the school because when they're confusing to you, when they're confusing to the adults, they'll definitely be confusing to kids. So, Making, making sure that the rules are consistent and that you have buy-in from your staff and then ultimately have buy-in from your students so that students can also have voice and some choice as to what rules are. And right now we have all these sort of norms that we feel are so important 
And are they really that important? And are they worth fighting on? I mean, right now is masks for COVID, but it's before that it's hats and now it's cell phones and hoods and, right. and all these things. And I'm not saying that we should or should not have any of them. Frankly, I could make an argument for either one, but what do the kids care about? What do you care about? What does your staff care about? Because the more that you can find that common consensus among all of them, the more natural buy-in you're going to have by the majority of students. And then once you start whittling those issues down to just the several instead of the several hundred, then you really see your staff and your school take off and enjoy their experience a lot more. So they're not fighting these issues all the time. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Well, Andy, I'm going to pivot from the book, which is fantastic. If anyone is listening right now, definitely pick up Discipline Win. I'm going to have a link in the show notes for anyone to pick that up. It's fantastic and such a relevant topic right now. But I am going to pivot to another project, which I love also, your podcast. It's not even a year old, I don't think. But, you know, where did that come from? What was the process? Like, did you have a struggle pushing record? I know I did, but I want to know about you. Oh, yeah. My first <laughs> one. Yes. My first one literally is the problem with perfection. Shout out to Adam. Welcome, because you, really you pushed me on that just to get it out there. <laughs> and I was I was debating with him on something. He says, just do it. Yep. And uh, he was right. And so, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I, I wanted to, when you write any book, you can put a million things in it. And this book is just one of many different amazing discipline resources that are out there and buy them all and learn from them all, frankly. Um, And for me, it's like the more I learned, the more I discuss it, the more I want to share it and keep that dialogue open and going and, and growing myself. So half of it's reflective. Uh, I try to be a little bit inspirational on topic on this tough topic, but then also it's interviewing just like you're doing, just trying to interview people out there and uh, see what they have to say on it. And then you never know which of those will be sort of gold and which of those will be something that one person listens to and really changes their day or changes their belief system. So uh, just like you're doing, just try to put good word out there. That's awesome. So I'll have a link for that for their podcast also. And I want to talk about a couple more projects because there's a couple yep. other things that you're passionate about. And we've kind of touched on a little bit, but um, you have a virtual talent show coming up and I want to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I work for, I work with, I guess I'm the board director to the Autism Society of Northern Virginia. We, we help support thousands and thousands of families affected by autism in the region. And we do a lot of cool events. And my wife and I put on this massive um, you know, fun fest and walk and all that in the fall, but in the spring, you know, April is autism acceptance month, not just awareness, but acceptance. And one of the ways to accept our students is to put them on stage. And during the COVID experience, we started a virtual talent show where people could submit, uh, autistic individuals could submit their talents and everything from dancing to singing, to playing piano, to, um, someone was juggling a flaming batons or something like oh, wow. that. It's great. And uh, I, I organized them all into like a show. And we have our board of directors uh, makes comments like American Idol or something, <laughs> except not negative. And right. we don't have a Simon Cowell on the show. But uh, and we just go through and we highlight those individuals. And for them, it's really cool because, you know, a, a regular talent show being on stage is is stimulation overload. And it's mm-hmm. very 
anxiety driven. And if you know a lot about autism or not, um, it's not just the sensory, you know, touching things that people always have the trouble with. It's anxiety. There's so many anxiety issues with autism for those that have autism. And so we want to create something that would reduce that anxiety and uh, people can watch from uh, their homes with their families. And it's really popular. So we're putting that on in April. Oh, that's awesome. So last thing, last project, NAESP. And you talked about earlier connecting in authentic ways. I, I love what you said there. So what is it with that organization that you love to do and how are you connecting other leaders? Yes, uh, National Association of Elementary School Principals and all the state affiliates. Uh, school leadership is so hard, it's so difficult. And that's not a knock in any teaching position or anything else. Those are so difficult too. And they all need their associations as well. In this case, I'm proud to work with NASP to connect, to inspire, and to educate school leaders across the country and really, frankly, the world because we connect with worldwide organizations with this. Yeah. And that comes in many different ways because many people have their their unique uh, preferences on how to engage. You know, and some. And at the end of the day, though, we have to stay connected because. While you and I are having this great conversation, you may have someone that feels extremely lonely and they have no one to reach out to. And the leadership role can be an island where you feel like everyone is throwing you know, darts at you and you have no one to turn to. And everyone needs that friend they can rely on. And if we can create that venue for support, um, especially in a time like that, I think that for some people that keeps them in the job and it helps yeah. be, help them be a better, for me, NESP, made me such a better school leader um, and the friendships and, and partnerships I've made through them have just been lifelong changes. So um, I'm happy to help do that in the same way. Yeah. So I'll put a link in the show notes again for that. Um, I think Andy, you make a, a really great point about making connections and relationships with other leaders. I know leadership can be an extremely lonely job and it's so important to, to make sure that you have other people to help support you and NAESP can definitely do that for you. Andy, I'm going to leave you with the last question of for our aspiring leaders that are looking to enhance their leadership journey, what is something that they can do tomorrow or next week? Oh, time management. Schedule your time according to your beliefs and your priorities. So at the end of the day, you control your schedule way more than you realize. And you may feel like, you know, everyone else owns me, but, you know, you have to run your day or else the day is going to run you. And if you're letting all these little things own your space, well, then you're really not taking advantage of the control that you do have and where you spend your time. And so, for instance, if I want to if I want to be really diligent about getting in classrooms, giving growth producing feedback and engaging in really tough instructional conversations, well, then right away, make sure you block up your whole time doing that and block up your time doing the little things like having the post-conference meeting, right? Because a lot of times we don't put that in our schedule. We just put the observation or, or whatever it's going to be, spending time in the hallways, uh, you know, reaching out to parents, you know, doing good news calls. And, you know, I really stress that if you're going to have the tough things in your job, like discipline that we talked about, you do have to have that. It's going to happen. You can't not do those things, mm -hmm. but you can't only do those tough things. You have to also do the positive things that keep you in a positive mind frame and a positive mindset so that when the tough things come, it doesn't just crush you. So do the things you want to do and do the things you have to do. Look at that schedule, prioritize it, make it happen. You can control it. You could do it. And once you do, you look at the end of the day and think, man, I did some good stuff today. feel good about myself. Yeah. So Andy, for those who are looking to make a connection with you and learn more about all the fantastic things that you're doing, how can they connect with you on social media? 
Yeah, at Twitter, underscore Andy Jacks. Instagram, same thing, underscore Andy Jacks. Uh, my website, andyjacks.com. Um, and then uh, just keep the conversation going. I think uh, social media is a tough time right now because a lot of negativity. So we need people out there spreading the good word. Mm-hmm. It's not toxic positivity. It's a, it's a mindset. It's a sort of philo- philosophy of, of and a belief that this will get better. And I truly believe it will. I think we're on the cusp of getting, I don't want to say back to normal because I, I think there's no such thing, but I think we're on the cusp of people getting to a place where like, all right, now I'm getting more positive momentum and good things are happening. People are coming back together. And before you know it, we're sharing all this awesome stuff and it'll just be uh, exciting again. So you just got to be part of that online. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So Andy, your dedication to education was shown tonight because as we're recording, the national championship game is occurring. I know. <laughs> oh, I don't know if you just, I lost my I don't know, athletic card or whatever you want to call it. My sports fan card, I think a little bit here. <laughs> That's right, man. You're, you're, you're serving in, in so many ways and it shows tonight. And I, I just appreciate not only what you're doing on your campus, but what you're doing around the world. And your book is fantastic. Podcast is fantastic. You're just doing so much amazing work. And it's just an honor to speak with you this evening. Vice versa, my man. Vice versa. You do great work as well. So keep sharing the stuff. I, I'm proud of you. It's, this is hard to, I know on my end, to pull people in and get all these things going people don't realize they just think you hit record and just magically all happens uh but the work you're doing is really profound and you're sharing a lot of great awesome stuff out there so thank you as well 